so so check it out, Isaac. We'll go back to Plan A. I'll I'll, I'll ask the trans <laughs> question. <laughs> what? What? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we only do Plan A when Plan B doesn't work. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side, the music snobs. This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Isaac and Jahan. Will the real artists please stand up? Are today's musical artists the most authentic that they've ever been? Or are they more manufactured than ever, molding their personas into what they believe that the culture wants them to represent? Now and again, we know we bring up issues of authenticity in our episodes. Uh, You know, who's real? What's real? Is it important to be real uh, with lyricism in hip hop? Is it important to be authentic in your public portrayal as an artist? So what do we mean when we describe an artist as authentic and why is it so important in music? You know, I think um, I'm actually going to throw the first part of the question back at you guys. But I think the second part of that question, why is it so important in music is because historically artists have kind of led the conversation. In other words, you would see an artist do something, whether it was um, through their music, through their look, um, their aesthetic. Um, whatever ideology they were pumping out at that point in time through that album, you saw them do something and it had an impact on the culture. You know, it became a part of the zeitgeist. So I think that that is important because artists, you know, um, absorbing um, their surroundings and the environment and what's going on in the cultural moment and then kind of creating something from that and then kind of going back to the, cult- the culture and having an impact on listeners and people who follow them, um, not not necessarily, I'm not talking about social media, I'm just talking about people uh, who consider themselves fans. I think that is important. Um, I think that's kind of the function of an artist is to you know speak for people um, while at the same time being at the forefront of the conversation. So I think now, uh, the question now is that are artists you know leading the conversation or are they just simply just reflecting you know the conversation? Um, but I think that's I think that's the answer to the second part of that question. Mm-hmm. I think looking at the first part of it then, it's interesting. Sometimes people describe artists, like they'll use a different word for artist and the word they'll use is performer. I think that the audience wants a performance in terms of, you know, theatre or vocals or, you know, pianism, musicianship. That's the performance they want. But they want to believe that everything else about the artist is is themselves, particularly mm-hmm. as it pertains to a backstory and, and nowadays, even, you know, like a political alignment or a, a social position. Uh, to answer your question, Arthur, what do we mean when we describe an artist as authentic? I think believable is probably another word. Mm-hmm. I don't think audiences want to feel like they've been hoodwinked or tricked is, is the point. And I think, I think it exists more in music than it does, for example, in film. You know, film, you take on another role. You're a completely different persona. But for some reason in music, you know, if, uh, and I'm sure we're probably going to touch on this cat later on in the show, um, given Isaac's in the room, but if I if Marvin Gaye's on the mic, you know if you feel pathos, you you don't want to think that he just dialed it in on the day, but he's happier than ever elsewhere. You want to feel like no, that pain was real, and mm-hmm. I relate to it, and I relate to something that's real, basically. And perhaps that's 
perhaps that's the ultimate point is people go through things in their lives what they hear on record they don't want to think that that's fake they want to think you know what i feel that and he felt it too or she felt it too and we can relate to each other in that way well okay i do want to i'll keep it in the in the in the period that was really 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 creative in music uh that we're kind of talking about the 70s and let me throw this back at you um you brought up marvin gay and marvin gay particularly with what's going on let's get it on um um i want you i want you he expressed a lot of his personal stuff through his music in very clear terms right that's authentic okay stevie yeah. wonder talking book inner visions fulfilling this is first finale he communicated his personal views through his music but not in direct language contrasting to marvin gaye's lyrics does that mean that stevie was inauthentic no right absolutely but i guess the stevie wonder example if the man who did higher ground didn't believe in god or if the man who did black man was a card-carrying republican at the time <laughs> yeah i think audiences would have had a problem with that but we're talking about more than just lyrics and we, we're actually even talking about more than just music we're talking about because I, I consider madonna one of the most authentic slash commercial you know market you know smart marketing artists of all time um and it wasn't just about her music it wasn't just about her lyrics it was about the whatever look that she was you know putting out for that particular album um was real to what she was feeling at that time was real to what she wanted to say at that time saying i think you could argue the same with lady gaga um so i don't think i mean you guys tell me we're not just talking about music or no lyrics you're, you're right mm -hmm. you're right that's one dimension and it's an easy dimension to look at of course and an important dimension but it's just one we're looking at the whole persona i mean for you know for my part i i do feel that authenticity is 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 very important to to music and, and the thing that's unique about about music even today in the absence of radio music is pushed on us whereas we have to go and read a book we have to go pay however much for a movie ticket sit and spend time watching a movie you know what i'm saying music has a way of being filtered to us through terrestrial radio when all of us were growing up moving to now youtube playlists shared playlists sending music files and the ability to be able to do that in email uh you see what i'm saying it's like i think because music is much more accessible mm -hmm. that we attach ourselves to whom we can relate to either the message in the music or that persona that we see because mm -hmm. like you know i mean for example you brought up a manana and that's that, that that that's a great example but she presents herself as in a theatrical way you know ultimately arthur i think to, we're also talking about a level of investment here if i hear if you know if a hit if a song is a hit and it's you know by artists that i'm not heavily invested in um whether they're being authentic whether they were a country singer and they switched over to r&b or pop or whatever none of those things matter to me because i'm just that it's just about that one song for me but if it's an artist that you're heavily invested in you know that you've 
you you follow and you you know you you got their albums and you you know uh their last album or the album before that was one of your favorite of all time and now you feel a connection to this artist if there is any wavering from that um authenticity or that realness then it affects you differently um i think that people when people talk about their favorite artists they will if you ask them okay that's your favorite artist is that artist you consider that artist authentic i think almost to a fault everybody's gonna say yeah that he or she is authentic that's mm-hmm. you know they're real but if they waver off of that then it affects you it affects you differently because you have an investment in that artist so i don't think every artist has to be authentic to every person um but i think that for those people for those artists that we hold near and dear to our hearts then yeah there is a, a connection that is built on authenticity but does that mean that if we're invested in an artist and an artist goes and does music that doesn't speak to us anymore are they no longer authentic? No, I feel that if we feel that, let's say, you know, you take your, let's say, let's say right now your favorite artist in the world is Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. That's, 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 you know, who you hold near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. If he goes off and does a, um, you know, a rock, a rock rap album, hip hop rap, you know, slash rock album. Yeah. And it's not your thing. That's not your, that's not what you're feeling, but you can still appreciate him and say, okay, that's what he was feeling. You know that's who he is he's that's what he wanted to explore and i have respect for that mm-hmm. if he goes and does something that you can tell is purely based off of a uh, commercial aspect um then yeah i could see you losing you know okay. respect for that and okay. it, but again it's based on your your investment in him mm-hmm. to me the question is most interesting when we're looking at the persona as well as what they're doing on the stage mm-hmm. so if kendrick has made um to pimp a butterfly for example but then we see him perennially throwing money up in the air etc not representing what we bought into with to pimp a butterfly and damn and good kid mad city that's that to me is the more interesting question mm-hmm. see is he you know we 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 hear those albums and we believe him you know we 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 kind of say yeah okay that's 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 who he is but if he then presents something that's kind of completely different that's in real life. Point. That's a good point. But the problem I have with that is hip hop allows for that. You know what I'm saying? Like hip hop allows for the extravagance. And to have someone like your example, to have Kendrick do that after Pimp the Pimp a Butterfly and damn in the Pulitzer, right? Um, it's almost like he's blowing off steam because in a hip hop context, at some point, Kendrick has a right to floss at a certain level. If he, if he gets to a certain level. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, John, now that you brought that up, let me ask you, do you, are you in that camp who lost um, some love for Ice Cube? when he, you know, went a different direction other than, you know, away from the music and the messages that he was pumping early in his career. Are you in that camp that kind of lost some respect for him or that didn't bother you? You mean like the movies? Are we there yet? And Well, everything he's doing, you know, is, that's much different than what he used to do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't ever feel comfortable saying I lost respect for him because mm-hmm. that those are his choices and that's his life. And I know, and I think, I think perhaps the the kind of nub of this topic is how little we really know about artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't presume to say, no, I know about him and he's let himself down, etc. Um, those, you know, those are my issues and my needs. But uh, I will say, yeah, definitely musically and message wise, 
the beginning of his career resonated very much with me. And then from the West Side Connection and the movies onwards, yeah, no, nothing really resonated with me after that. So, yeah, uh-huh. and people are allowed to evolve. You know, he was he was in his very early 20s when he was doing a lot of that material. Now he's, you know, a different person. I'm a different person. I think you just hit upon a key word, evolution. You know, evolution, you can be authentic and evolve, you know. Um, and I think, Arthur, your question about, well, would you lose respect for this or that? I think to like what John is saying is that if there's an evolution, um, a natural evolution, then I think that gives you some space or some leeway um, to go in different directions and, and, and you yeah. know, in the, in the, and sometimes in a completely different direction mm-hmm. and not lose, you know, respect. And just because you don't like something, exactly, just because you don't like something or it's not to your taste it doesn't mean that you think of it as a lie or, or inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Let me throw this in really quick, because Arthur, you started in the 70s and, and you know stated that as a purely um, authentic time period. I think that it's a little bit more difficult for artists now to be that authentic. Um, I think one of the reasons, if I had to guess, and, and I, yeah, I'm saying that I think it is a little bit more difficult for them to do that. I think one of the reasons is technology. They're constantly living in the now, you know, on online with Instagram or Twitter or whatever else, it's, I think it must be very hard when you're constantly absorbing the now to kind of create the next, you know, cause that's really mm-hmm. what artists do is, you know, they, they create what's next. And then um, we kind of uh, glom onto them because we, we, it appeals to us. I think it's very difficult for artists to, to, to move past the now, you know, and, and create what's next when you're constantly consuming it. It's important to consume it because you have to reflect kind of what's going on now and right. push that, you know, push that envelope forward. But I, I really feel that artists and everyone, all of us now, live so permanently in the now. It's very, you know, we absorb so much of this stuff. It's hard to get out of group think. I think, you know, that group think thing is strong right now. Well, conversely, do you think that younger audiences, millennials and beyond, do you think within this context that you just brought up, we will allow current artists to evolve? Like if, if Solange in 10 years, if Solange did, you know, like a Whitney Houston songbook album, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you, you, you do what I'm saying, right? Right. No, I feel you. Do Is, I think that, do I think, I mean, yeah, I think evolution to, that's why I think I, I really like that Jay uh, brought that word into the conversation because I think the evolution will always be um, given some leeway. I think if, if, mm-hmm. na- if an artist naturally evolves, um, those people who are heavily invested in that artist, even if they don't consume their their um, art the way they used to, yeah, I don't. I think there's still a, a certain amount of respect that's going to be shown. Yeah, okay. And I mean, maybe 10 years was too long, but let's say three to five. You know, it's like where it's like this left turn that seems to be so different perceptually than what you initially made the investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think period, a left turn. You know I think a left turn for Solange, not to not to beat um, to to dwell on that, but I think a left turn for Solange would be more of her going in a Katy Perry direction. You uh-huh. know, uh-huh. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, are you going? Are her fans going to stick with that, or is, or Miley, know, she, or Miley Cyrus, who is still trying to figure out where her lane really is, what she's doing well in? Mm-hmm. But you guys are mentioning black and white artists. Yeah, let me ask you something: is is this more important? Is order, is authenticity and credibility more important in black music genres? I, I think so. I think so. I, I really think so. And I mean, I think it's a byproduct of, of hip hop permeating into, a, you know, the pop genre. 
And I do believe that the idea of the real rapper, the hard rapper, was was the benchmark of authenticity. You know, uh, I think that's permeated now into our culture, our common musical culture. I think I think because of hip hop, that there's this there's this there's this pressure of always needing to be connected to the quote unquote to what hood, you present to what you present. Now, let me ask this, um, and this is leading to another question. So for an artist like Frank Ocean, um, who could be considered R&B, but has, you know, let's say hip hop tendencies, are we a little more forgiving or does authenticity matter in the same kind of space that we were talking about a few minutes ago now in the 2000s and the 2010s than there were in the 80s and the 90s? Because in a way, it seems so particularly for it for younger people it'll always 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 be important for people in their teens especially um and even in going into their early 20s for them to believe in an artist um whether it's you know miley cyrus or Katy perry or it's um tyler the creator i feel that at that age that is a very impressionable age and it's very important to you at that age for you to um, connect with someone who you feel understands you. I think once you get older um, and a little bit more jaded and a little bit more worldly, you kind of, you know, you still have those artists that you connect to, but you're more forgiving of artists doing certain things because you're like, yeah, they're just trying to make some money or they're just, you know, they're, it's a business, you know, you get a little bit more jaded. But I think when you're, when you're 16, you need to believe that everything coming out of X artist's mouth is the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, and it's, it's, it's part of your religion, you know, at that at that age. I will say that I'm glad you brought up Frank Ocean because I think his um, launch into fame um, was as much built around his image and who he is as a, you know, as his music. That letter, that Tumblr letter he wrote, you know, where he, he professed his, uh, he talked about his first love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came out, I think, did it come out right before Channel Orange came out, I think? Or at the it same time? Af- I thought it came out after. It may, it may have been during, like right after. And it was like, you know, because I remember it being in conjunction with kind of like the release of that album. Um, but it was a random Tumblr post he, you know, he put up about his uh, first, his first, um, I think it was his first heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, who was a man. And it was like, oh. Frank Ocean said, you know, it was it was it was a level of authenticity. It was a very well written, you know, he's a great writer. Um, and the expression was was uh, was very heartfelt. And I think that that kind of immediately cemented him as this, you know, an authentic artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But to, you know, and, and his and it, his audience. But but I guess the key point there is his audience bought into that as much as they do his music. Yeah, it's part and parcel exactly it's 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 quite hard to separate when you when you talk about him as an artist it's quite hard to separate his persona from his music and i think what people like about him very much is as much his persona as his music okay so looking at an art form like hip-hop i basically said this is hip-hop's fault right so looking at hip-hop a genre and art form that's based heavily on credibility how how has authenticity changed in hip-hop from the 80s and the 90s to today to the 2000s and the advent of Kanye let's say who wasn't really rooted in street culture 
in the same way that Easy E was, for example, you know, and going into now today where we have Tyler, who's got the biggest album in, in the United States at the time of this recording. How has that as that is that authenticity? How's that changed? I think it's changed and I think it's still the same. It's changed in the way that in the 80s and particularly the 90s, authenticity or let, let's call it what it was, street cred, right? Right. You had to be hard. You had to be, you had to conduct yourself in a certain way in order for audiences to respect you, in order for other MCs and other, other hip hop artists to respect you. Mm-hmm. If you delivered a different vibe in real life or if you were shown as in real life not being about that, you know, you'd end up literally on the summer jam screen, right? <laughs> look at right. look at Dr. Dre, etc. It wasn't, you know, audiences did not take kindly to that. But if you contrast that with today, I think the type of authenticity has changed because the type of music has changed. But it's still really important. I think now you have artists like Tyler, like you mentioned, maybe mm-hmm. a bit more aligned with, for want of a much better phrase, nerd culture. I think if they were seen outside of that, I think audiences would be equally suspicious. Maybe maybe not quite as unforgiving. Yeah. Because I think in the 90s, they were unflinchingly unforgiving on that. The same, you know, we had a very, we, we, we had a show um, a number of years ago about ghostwriting in hip hop. Yeah, go listen to that. <laughs> After you listen to this. <laughs> Isaac and I were arguing about uh, we're arguing the point with myself and Scoop mm-hmm. that we couldn't take you seriously if you didn't write your own lyrics as an MC, and that someone who was known to use ghostwriters, we just couldn't we couldn't see them as authentic. I think perhaps that's changed a little bit, but I I still think it's there. I still think that need to believe who the artist is and that they're not manufactured, that they're real, and, and you know they just stepped out of their house onto the street into the studio and they're giving us themselves i think i think that's still super important like let me ask you guys this did you feel differently at all about common when he did his coke commercial that's an interesting artist so i mean for my part common does annoy me in those microsoft commercials (laughs) is that the one where he's like ai that one is the future (laughs) the time is now We rise. <laughs> um, but no, 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 no. Shout no. out so, to Common. Look, so, shout out to Common. No, no disrespect. Yeah, to man. Do you think? Even though we just did. <laughs> sort but of no, kinda. but see, but Mad check love. this out get, though. Get, get get that money, Com. Get that money, Com. <laughs> yeah, but check this out. He's an he's an interesting artist, and he's kind of that class of artists where that came out in the early '90s, where uh, you know the backpacker movement is an easy way to kind of like digest that right where they weren't you know they weren't about carrying guns so much as they weren't punks either right so there was still this you know edge a cool edge just around the way kind of edge and that outgrowth is where kanye fits too yeah so there was a similar kind of thing about um I know Tribe Called Quest, Busta Rhymes, um, somebody else. We're doing Sprite commercials. Oh yeah, what was that? Obey, obey your thirst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and right, it was sort of like, well, aren't they selling out? Even though they're talking about, you know, not being down with the commercial and all that, right? But conversely, 
I was fine with it because they weren't pushing St. Ives, which is what Ice Cube was doing. Mm. Snoop, Nate Dogg, for real. You seen him? Yeah. You seen him saying? So, yeah. So I although, saw that. Although, although the St. Ives stuff was actually directly authentic to the persona that Nate Dogg, um, mm-hmm. Snoop, etc., at that time was putting on record. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that's true. But in Ice Cube's case, this was post America's Most Wanted. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. Um, to to be fair, I believe it was before Death Certificate. But nonetheless, we're we're in the Death, America's Most Wanted Death Certificate Predator Ice Cube, right? So it seemed it seemed contradictory for him to push Saint Ides, which isn't even beer. You know what I mean? It's what you scrape from the bottom of the barrel and call malt liquor. <laughs> Does you know? it still exist? It's not around anymore, is it? I mean, I well, I was in <laughs> LA last weekend, knows. but I wasn't necessarily in the in the in the, in the, <laughs> the corner store. <laughs> in the corner store, <laughs> so uh. I can't I can't really speak to it. <laughs> mm. But um, so so yeah, so there was some backlash, and in fact, I think I think Common put a line in um his song "The Bitch in You." His, his Ice Cube this about St. Ives, about that hypocritical, you know what I'm saying? So, you're right. So, I don't, so I, I guess, I guess, I guess, common, common now, for me, in a way, it's similar to the roots, where the roots have kind of become this household thing. And common has kind of been this household acceptable thing. And I don't know if it's if 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 the older hip hop community tolerates it, you know, if we're divided yeah, on it as a whole. Yeah, I was just about whole. to say. I think that's. I think that has to do more with age. I think that's just because to a degree you don't want to see. <laughs> I think it's just more acceptable for them to in their mid in the middle age basically right. that they ain't saying and doing the same shit that they was saying and doing in their twenties. Now, if you're talking about, are they still adhering to the socio political? stuff that they were saying and you know in their 20s and 30s i think that's another issue and i think that's i i I honestly feel like that's what you're asking is their commercial standpoints and their um ability to uh to make money is that at this age in their middle age is it butting heads with their ideology of their 20s and 30s and i actually think that to be honest how many people can you not say that about you know what i'm saying it's like most people when we are in our 20s and 30s adhere to certain principles right. that we find out when we get older that if we stick to those principles we may not be able to feed our fam right you know what i'm saying it's like that's that happens for a lot of people so i think that yeah there is a little bit of i don't know if i want to you bring back the term evolution in this because i'm not because we when we talked about that term earlier we were talking about artistic evolution so i'm not sure that that applies when you're talking about um uh, commercial decisions and business decisions basically um, but I do I, I understand your point there are some of their business decisions are kind of butting heads with who they were when they were younger and hungry mm-hmm. well I mean for my part I felt that because they were doing a soda pop commercial that they weren't compromising their beliefs and what they talked about they were not they were not whereas Ice Cube in full-on death certificate predator mode pushing 40 ounces of St. Ides that was that I had a I had a problem with that mm-hmm. I took issue with that yeah I I, I agree um, but 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 in both cases I'm sorry in both cases I believe that both sets of artists were 
were, were, were taking advantage of opportunities presented to them that they otherwise would not have. You know what I'm saying? But, but let me ask you, there's a difference between being a hypocrite and being inauthentic or fake. True. Did you stop to believe Ice Cube at that point? If you felt badly about the St. Ives participation, did you look at then Death Certificate, America's Most Wanted, etc.? Did you suddenly say, you know what? I think he's fake. I don't believe what this guy is saying. No, I didn't. Did you have that reaction? No, I didn't go that far. I felt it was more of a misstep. Okay, so yes, it didn't affect his authenticity in your eyes, is the point. No, it didn't, it didn't affect his authenticity. I thought it was a bad choice. And there is a big difference between the two. Big difference, yeah. You know, one of the um, interesting stamp stances I've seen ever made by an artist to say, no, that's not what I stand for. You guys remember when Biggie sampled Chuck D's voice for the Ten Crack Commandments? You remember that? Yeah. yeah. And Chuck, I don't know yeah. if I, I can't remember if Chuck actually, you know, had le- you know initiated legal action, but I remember there was something to that where you know, you know, I, I thought that was dope. You know, what I'm saying because it was him saying this is not yeah. what I, you know, I don't stand for that. Um, I don't know what happened to that because you can listen to the song now and his voice is still in the song. But you know, it's again I go back to the different viewpoints um, and how, how we look at things differently because. I remember when even man back in the 80s when Mike did Pepsi I didn't like that and I remember thinking you know Mike is bigger than Pepsi to me you know so it was almost like a step down to see him promoting a product you know and I think that you know for certain iconic you know stars um, whether they be actors or, or musicians or whatever it does feel to me sometimes like it's a step down from a not just from an authentic authentic authenticity standpoint um, from a stature standpoint for them to do to be do product mm-hmm. endorsements mm-hmm. to the point where you know a lot of actors um, and I'm sure it's probably the same for musicians they do things in markets outside of the US that they don't do in the US you know right. um, they have yeah, they have Japan. huge you know um, uh, campaigns for certain products in um, the Far East or in you know in Asia that they don't have here in the states and that's by design but I'm saying um, from an authenticity standpoint like you didn't believe Michael to be Michael because he was pushing Pepsi I didn't believe that Michael Jackson, it was too transparent to me. I didn't believe that Michael sat around drinking Pepsi. I didn't either. I I thought Michael Jackson "Hmm." and Don King were trying to pay for a tour. (laughs) Well, I wasn't as sophisticated as you as a 10 year old. Well, I mean, no, we were talking as, we're talking as men and all of that. But, but you know what I mean? In other words, I'm a stickler for, I don't think that conveyed, I don't think that convoluted his message. That's what I'm saying about Mike. What would change your opinion of an artist in terms of their in terms of who you believe them to be, what would it, what kind of example could you give? I do have a good example, but it's it's, it's almost a bad example because he almost gets instantly forgiven because he gets thrown into this, the dude is just off his rocker type category. And that's Kanye, you know, recently with the whole mm-hmm. um, Make America Great thing, you know, last year, his on again, off again support for um, the Trump campaign. So I, I think that that was an example of where you saw a lot of people just go against him and was it his authenticity they were attacking? You know, saying that's not what you told us. That's not the person you told us you were. I think so. But then again, like I said, he kind of got almost immediately excused because it was like, yeah, is just he's just bizarre. You know, he does shit like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the most that's the most recent example I can think of. Hmm. I'll tell you what, in the 80s, if Prince would have promoted anything, that would have been an instant. What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. that have been that have been completely antithetical to who I thought he he is. You know, 
um, because of his the image he promoted was somebody who doesn't even drink or eat. You know what I'm saying? So it was like he's he was another worldly type person. And the same with Mike. That's why it seemed odd for me for Michael Jackson to be promoting Pepsi. I'm like, Mike drinks. <laughs> Mike eats. <laughs> like what? <laughs> but what about an artist? Like if an artist comes out, um, let, mm-hmm. let's say, let's say an album comes out by an artist that you love, and it's pure pain. It's mm-hmm. pure sorrow, devastation, and you never felt something speak to your own pain and your own experiences like this. But at the same time, they are living it up, skipping down the road, um, having fun. Mm-hmm. Would you feel like I can only buy this material so much? <laughs> or are you able to step outside of the artist? Are you able to step mm-hmm. outside of that and just look at the material in a vacuum on its own? Well, I, I've been accused on this show in the past of being of only, I think uh, Scoop said, I only like sad music or some shit. You know, like, <laughs> I've been accused of that. So, you know, I think that I will think that art, not just music, but art in general, seems to get a much level of higher level of appreciation if it comes from, you know, negative experiences or or, or pain. Um, So there is a I think there's a certain level of authenticity that's, you know, attached to pain more so than to happiness. Um, But for me, does an artist I think what you're asking me is if an artist is, you know, exhibiting, you know, constantly talking about pain through their music. And then I find out that in their real life, there's nothing that you know there's no kind of connection to that yeah i would feel um betrayed if it's if it's one song it's one song whatever maybe you was just you was upset that day or maybe you were happy that day but if your whole aesthetic mm-hmm. is on some you know um depressing you know uh very you know moody type shit mm-hmm. and then i find out that's nothing like your real life or your personality then yeah i would i would say okay that's not an authentic you know they found something that worked they found a lane and they existed in that lane from a commercial standpoint so I guess I guess we're asking: Do audiences require that an artist's authenticity be derived from uh, inherently negative experiences? Like it's got to come from a source of pain. I think that pain and negative, not necessarily negativity. I don't think that's the right word, but I think pain and um, those sort of emotions always get a higher level of authenticity addressed to them. In other words, not just music. You know, if you look at film. You know, what's the greatest, you know, we start going through the greatest film movies of all time. There's not as many, there's more, much more drama, many dramas in there than there are comedies. You know, it's because of the pain and the emotion and the dramatic, blah, 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 blah. I think the same for music. So I feel that, yes, artists or the public seems to connect or, or those painful type um, songs, ballads, whatever, seem to resonate a little bit more with the public than um the other style. And I also think if you look at you guys were talking about hip hop a minute ago, um, some of the quote unquote realist hip hop, what's it talking about? You know, it ain't talking about a happy day. You know, it's talking about um, shit that we may ascribe as or describe as pain um, or um, we call it real. But what we're really talking about is pain, whether we're talking about a social pain, a community, pain, a community's pain mm-hmm. or individual pain. Uh, so for whatever reason. Um, we as human beings seem to connect more with those type of emotions and, and displays of emotion through art um, and, a, and a kind of a, attach to them a higher level of authenticity and realness than we do other art forms. Okay, so taking this a little bit deeper then, is depression and anxiety the new authentic? 
Uh, I know you get tired of me doing this, and I don't mean to cause you any anxiety. I actually expect it. Before, <laughs> before I'm setting you're, up the cliffhanger. You're just man. being. Is, I mean, people. You're being people authentic. are listening now. They're like, "Oh my god, you're what are authentic. they going to say about that that question that Arthur just asked?" But before we go into that, let's kind of give people a nice gentle nudge to go check out um, our current episode of our sister podcast, Snobs on Film. The episode out right now is um, focusing on. Uh, not just Endgame, not just just Avengers Endgame, but really the entirety of uh, the Marvel, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's titled The Beginning and the Endgame of the MCU. And we are diving into um, Endgame and kind of looking at that film. But we're also looking at the last 10 years and kind of asking the question about what the next 10 years of uh, the MCU is going to look out look at, look like. So I would definitely encourage everybody to go check that out. Um, where is it available at, Arthur? That's me snapping. <laughs> and nothing happens. So go on and just do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere that fine RSS feeds are distributed. Um, did I say did I say Spotify? We are on Spotify as well. Um, it's a good show. It's a good show. Uh, I know I'm biased, but yeah, it's it, it's it's a good episode. Oh, and definitely stay tuned. At the end of the show, we have a really, really cool roundtable where we talk about... Um, what uh, comic book film would you recommend to somebody who hates comic book films? That that ended up being really cool. So yeah, I know I'm biased, but it is. It's a good show. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it, roundtable and all. And we encourage you to leave a review, leave a rating. The ratings really do help. It helps us to grow uh, and spread the word about our shows. Um, and also, if you can take a moment and rate this show, the Music Snobs. Um, a show that we've been doing for six years and I believe I've established the benchmark for conversation around black music in an intelligent manner I know you support the real I know you support the original see how I did that rolled it back into the authenticity <laughs> angle that I think we have influenced <laughs> I like the fact that you said influence that's a really politically correct word right there you know they've been influenced by us that's better. Is that what it is? That what it is? It's better than steal and rip off. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. We can't. We're not going there. We just, okay. All right, all right. I mean, let me know when I need to be politically correct because I was going to the steal and rip off part. But okay. All right. We've been jacked several times, but it's all right. <laughs> yeah. You may not want to ask. Yeah. Leave us reviews. And by the way, you motherfuckers is ripping us off. <laughs> it's kind of a positive and a negative. <laughs> so, <laughs> just uh get the name sp spell the name right when you do it nah fuck that <laughs> <laughs> i'm just playing i just just get give cred give give a uh, uh give um some some love yeah thanks for being fans here we go so i want to get back on this depression and anxiety question is depression and anxiety the new authentic well specifically we talked about hip-hop and how street cred and being hard was the identifier of it whether or not you were an authentic you know rapper and you know now nowadays there are a lot of interviews of artists who have openly talked about struggles with depression or anxiety or you know some mental issues that they've struggled to overcome and through their music has been you know uh part therapy in some ways so do we think now that this is becoming the new benchmark, the growing benchmark of authenticity? Mm, you talking about from the perception of the public. In other words, if you aren't talking about these things, then I'm not you're not real to me. You know, you you, you need to express these 
these things in order to be considered um, real in this moment in the same way that rappers need to express certain things in the 80s and the, the 90s to, to right to, or, to, or even okay. as a ref, or even as a reflection like a reflection of the of the listener of the listener well i think that that may be like you know saying is that is depression anxiety the new authentic i think that may be going taking a little bit too far but i will say this anytime you have a um a movement in music where certain things get talked about or certain things are expressed from a real place then you have copycats so because I, I think back to the 90s man i don't think anybody spoke more eloquently and more frequently about depression and anxiety than tupac you know this is going back 20 mm-hmm. some years mm-hmm. um it was it was a it was almost like a um common element of his music um on any album you know he was going to get to those moments um and i thought it was it was as well done i thought it was beautifully done how he articulated it but I think that, yeah, now you do have artists doing the same thing. And I'm sure that for a, a, a huge swath of these artists is coming from a real place. But I am sure, just like with anything else, there is the, those um, that level of copycatting. In other words, okay, this is what's going on in the moment, in the cultural moment. So yes, I need to express this in order to fit in and to get some attention. How do you discern that? I think that that's the difficult thing. How do you discern who's being true about this and who's not? that's to me a very difficult task for the uh, for the for the listener mm-hmm. for my part thinking about this question uh, it's it's hard for me to to not think back when it was announced that kurt cobain had committed suicide because it was one of those moments where television shows were interrupted you know with news with news flashes you know since that time thinking of of uh how kurt Kurt Cobain's death, Amy Winehouse's death uh, because of uh, drug dependency, Chris Cornell, former lead singer of Soundgarden, uh, Dolores O'Riordan, uh, former lead singer of the Cranberries, and I mean I know these are, these may or may not be groups that our listeners are you know just immediately you know flash back to, but I'm using these examples because they they don't just exist in you know an R&B rap they exist in other musical spaces as well but we don't hear about these things in some other genres like for example we don't hear about these kinds of deaths in you know in country or 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 uh, what's otherwise known as jazz what makes rock and rap <laughs> you know so stressful that we get these kinds of incidents that happen and that audiences also seemingly relate to because i do think that there is a bit of an authentic authenticity badge when you deal with an artist who you know who has problems like this that maybe their music is either a cry for help or a form of therapy because uh, in some ways the music has gotten darker you talking about hip-hop now as opposed to hip-hop back then you know 20 or 30 years ago i agree because if that's what you're saying i do agree with you there yeah i mean I, if, we, if we're if we're going to take it in the aggregate i think it has gotten much more um i don't know if darker is the term maybe um, we'll say back to morose. the days of back to the days of of late backpackers and you know the puffy missy timberland right yeah i, I agree with you there because i think about um who's my man that sung the song uh i wish i was a little bit taller i wish i was a you know six foot whatever ball or i Excuse wish I, okay if that song comes out in 2019, it ain't gonna be the happy-go-lucky because that was almost like a happy-go-lucky depressed song. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a, it was, it was, it was. It was if you listen to the <laughs> lyrics, it's like, that. damn, this, this dude is like in a really bad place. You uh-huh. know, if you listen to the lyrics. 
but then the but he's laughing at himself in the song right right but i don't to arthur's point i definitely don't see that being expressed in that manner in 2019 you know absolutely not um so to answer your question arthur yeah i see how it is with everything in hip-hop has become a little bit more uh morose i think than it, than it used to be Isaac, what would the lyric be in 2019? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. What, and then what does he say? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, you, I, you know, but again, I hesitate to say that because that the, the level of freedom to express those, you know, the anxiety or whatever you want to call it, the stresses, um, specifically for men to be able to express that when, you know, in the past we've, you know, it's been encouraged to repress that. I applaud that. But then I also think that it's not new. You know, Pac was doing this. You know what I'm saying? R&B mm. cast was doing this uh-huh. for, for mm. decades. Mm-hmm. You know, going mm-hmm. all the way back. You, you guys brought up Marvin before. He made albums, you know, built around these mm-hmm. these concepts. But I do think, yeah, there's... So I, can't, I can't say it's the new authentic. Although I, I understand why you pose that question. But I hesitate to say it's the new authentic. I actually think there's a danger when it's inauthentic. When it's just something that a manager or, or even an artist feels themselves that everybody else is saying and this is what you have to say now to be cool i think there's i do worry that there's an element of that it's amazing that we have such awareness now comparative to before as a, as a culture of mental health but i think there is a danger that it turns into a punchline or a prop mm-hmm. it's something that's very real that some poor people are afflicted by for their entire lives not for a period right not through a phase but it's who they are it's what is part of their makeup unfortunately and i worry that sometimes the way i see it referenced in so many interviews nowadays like almost every one right i'm worried that it gives the impression that oh this is something that i experienced and now it's good and now it's all over and now i'm happy particularly because largely the people talking about it are successful they're in the mm-hmm. limelight they have mm-hmm. money Mm-hmm. They, you know, they have opportunities to have relationships with whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's great to shine a spotlight on it, and that's very, very needed. And I'm so happy that that has happened. But if we go too far and caricature it, or or just use it as a kind of tool to say, oh, you, oh, I, I also suffer. I'm also relatable. I'm also real. That it starts to lose its real power. Right. I have to actually disclaim here. I'm somebody who, thankfully, has never suffered from any form of that. I have my worries like everybody else but that's as far as it goes for me so mm-hmm. did you ever think you would miss uh don't worry be happy <laughs> did yeah, you ever think right, you would miss right. that mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> actually like uh, you know what no 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 lie i like that tune a lot when it came out i remember driving to school with my mum, and it would come on on the radio in the mornings and we would be singing along to it together <laughs> so it's a nice it's, for me it's a nice memory but yeah i hear you Hey, well, well, I mean, going off of what you were saying, Jahan, about seemingly why, why, like it's being glorified. Do you think that an artist's authenticity has ever been completely genuine? Like their story has just been real from end to end, or has it ultimately always been a marketing hook? Mm. I mean, there is this blend. We know that there are these blends, but still. Yeah, I don't think anybody is ever 100% authentic all the time, 24-7, 365. I do think there are artists who we can point to who have been far more authentic throughout their career, I mean, by a wide margin than other artists. And I I think it's mostly, it ends up being to their detriment, mostly. Mm-hmm. In other words, the ending is never really good, you know, because they couldn't fit, force themselves to fit in those boxes. 
But I think there are artists who do end up having long, great careers who are authentic. I think Miles, I mean, you guys are much more aficionados on Miles than, than I am. I think Miles comes to mind. What about Joni Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Comes mm-hmm. to mind. Uh, Erica, Erica Badu, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, the two artists that really jump out in my head when I think about artists who were just like so authentic that, um, and again, it was almost it was almost to their detriment. Um, are Marvin Gaye and outside of music or Marlon Brando. You know, I think about the, those two and I think about, I see how they both started their careers in, you know, traditional kind of roles um, for Marlon and traditional type of music for, for Marvin at the time. But then it became, they became iconic because of their authenticity. You know, that was the, it was the, it was part and parcel with their rise to um, megastardom was their authenticity. Even then, like I said, there is always going to be a level of marketability or marketing and trying to structure something when you're trying to sell a product. And at the end of the day, artists, these these main, these big artists that we're talking about, not not the starving artists, but the big artists that we're talking about, they're selling something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have to there's there's a level of um, you concede something when you do that. Yeah, maybe there's this ebb and flow because I, I you, you almost can't be. A 100% authentic through the whole thing and be successful because you have to try to present yourself to a variety of audiences, um, otherwise crossover, quote unquote, the crossover uh, move. One of the best examples I can think of of artists struggling with being authentic, but also dealing with the constraints of being a commercial um, artist is is Chuck's uh, Welcome to the Terradome. Public Enemies, Welcome to the Terradome. Mm-hmm. The entirety of that song is, you know, I know you guys know the history. Um, when he starts off, you know, I got so much trouble on my mind talking about, you know, the Professor Griff situation, which, you know, he's dealing with that at the time and knowing that I think he had to, I think he had to fire Griff at that point because of the comments that Griff had made um, and how it impacted the group. And he didn't, you know, he was struggling with that. And the, as the story goes, Chuck was driving and pulled over um, on the side of the road and wrote that song, you know, wrote those lyrics. At the core of that song is that struggle with, you know, I want to be who I am and be true to what I believe in. And, you know, but at the same time, I'm a, you know, I'm an artist who is selling product and, you know, I'm not, you know, I have a record label. I have an audience, you know, I have radio that needs to play these songs. So in a group of people a, dependent that are dependent. Right. On them. People are dependent upon this. Mm-hmm. There's, so there's a level of you have to concede some of your authenticity and some of your realness in order to survive. Um, and I thought that song beautifully articulated the pain, you know, and the the, the, the struggle with that um, from the jump, you know, with that first lyric. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a lonely road to, to be authentic, to stay authentic. I th- I, th- I think of a I think of an artist, uh, a woman by the name of Annie DeFranco, who who's released more than twenty albums, um, the last twenty or so years. Uh, she founded a record label, Righteous Bay Records. Um, Prince covered one of her songs, "I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore," on his uh, "Raven to the Joy Fantastic" album, um, and he admired her for her independence, um, but she's not. Not that she's not widely known, but, you know, you kind of have to look her up and it's not like you're going to find you got to you got to want to have her music. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to get pushed to you <laughs> like I was right. talking about. And I think that an artist like that, you know, has been able to early on, you know, know what the consequences of this decision to really stay independent in order to, you know, be authentic. 
All right, round table time. You can't handle the truth. Say it like Jack said, man. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> there How's you that? go. Is that all right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> what artist, album, or song that everyone else in the world loves is actually terrible? Or vice versa? Something that everyone else hates, but you actually wait for it, stand for it. Um, who wants to go first? Man, I hate to do this. Arthur, I know you're sitting down, but you may want to brace yourself. It's a Stevie song. Mm, let me stand up. When I first heard this song, this song came out in the early 80s to the mid 80s. When I heard it, I didn't like it then. And I was a young child and I don't like it now. <laughs> I just called to say I can't stand this song. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Bro, you're not alone. I'm now. all right. You're not alone. Yeah. Now. Okay. You're not right. alone. I was. That. I was very. I was really nervous. All right. Like I like the song, but you got the majority opinion. Okay. All right. Cool. It's good to be in the majority on this one. Haters, man. Haters. I can't stand that song. I heard it when I first heard. It. I was in Chicago when I first heard that song. Mm. I remember. I was at my godmother's, and. I heard that song. It was, you know, it came on the radio, and of course, it was on the radio like twice every hour. But you, uh-huh. and this was 19. I'm looking at the thing. This was 1984. Um, so this is the same summer as Purple Rain. Um, and I just, it was so, it, it was so ubiquitous, and I couldn't, I, di- I didn't like it from Jump, and then it became, you know, you couldn't escape this song. Um, and I liked the movie. Wasn't it from Woman in Red? I think that was, it was on the soundtrack, right? The Woman in Red that was with uh, Kelly LeBron. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, I was in love with Kelly LeBron Banging like everybody soundtrack. else. Yep. Um, so I like the film, but Gene Wilder. But yeah, this song, I just, and you know, I was mm-hmm. very, very young, so I didn't have an extensive knowledge of Stevie Wonder. You know, I knew who he was. I knew he was an icon at that point, um, and I knew some of his music. But it wasn't like I had a deep understanding of Stevie Wonder. Yeah. So all I knew was that that song that Stevie Wonder sings is terrible. Is <laughs> god awful. You know, it was a. It became a commercial. It was so corny. Yeah, it was like a phone commercial, an AT&T phone commercial. Let me guess. Uh, Jay, happy-go-lucky. Um, Jay, happy-go-lucky. Jay with the uh, um, don't worry, be happy. You love this song. Nice enough melody. Innocent lyrics. I think basically you guys, I mean, the whole planet basically are haters on this. And you know, you're not alone. <laughs> I mean, like everybody dislikes this song. Um, I, th- I think even like wedding party attendees are exhausted of hearing it by now. <laughs> But it's such a huge, it's such a huge hit, though. I mean, it's easy to sing along to. You can remember the lyrics really easily. It was a huge hit at the time, but I think it's one of those songs that, in years that have gone by, it's had a critical reappraisal, which is decidedly negative. Because this, it was his best-selling single. It still is his best-selling single. And okay, yeah, so sure. to your point, yeah, at the time. But again, at the time, I hated it. Like at that time. <laughs> didn't like it hated it <laughs> it's at the it's, time. it's skippable all right well that went a lot that went a lot better than i thought it was going to be i thought i was about to get kicked out i mean the, if you were going to uh, be styles. up here on some you know love light and fly it or or <laughs> that girl or some shit oh no hell no hell no we'd have had some trouble <laughs> <laughs> you would have sent a hit squad after me dog I mean, that would have been it <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm done Okay, so I'll go next because I think mine ties in quite well with Isaac's. So this is a song that I think is brilliant and the rest of the world just doesn't get its greatness. I think the rest of the world is completely wrong on it. It was my favourite song on the album when it dropped 
and I've just always really been dismayed by the hate that it gets. And there was even a documentary on um, the album from which it comes and they, were, they kind of go track by track. And when it comes to that song, even people involved were saying like, yeah, you know, it's not a great song. And I was, I was actually appalled by that. So the album is Bad by Michael Jackson and the song is Just Good Friends by Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. Mm. I think it's a masterpiece. Mm. Mm. Well, the reason that a lot of people seem to give for hating it was they'd waited their whole lives for a uh, duet between Stevie and Mike. They were disappointed by this. So, firstly, I don't get how they were disappointed. Stevie and Mike did another track together on the Characters album, which came out roughly around the same sort of time. Um, Stevie Wonder's Characters album. Mm-hmm. And the song's called Get It. And I think Just Good Friends is infinitely better to that. No one seems to talk about that for good or for bad. So I don't really get why Just Good Friends gets all the hate. But it's a hype, happy track. To me, it's on that same level as Shaka Khan's I Feel For You. It's the kind of track that makes you feel like you're in Beverly Hills Cop, walking down the street, with the sun <laughs> blazing. The verses are very different to the chorus. The chorus is infectious. There's this dope synth solo in it. You know, the, the bridge is beautiful with Michael saying, you know, we got a problem here. The way he sings that, the chord progression at that point, I think it's gorgeous. I think the drums hit hard and they give it 100%. I mean, they really go berserk on this song actually there's a there's an energy to it that i don't think is present at all on bad other than on this song and um yeah that's that's my pick your taste i have to give you credit man you really stick by your taste Mm -hmm. you know and and to hell with what the zeitgeist or what the what the uh, mainstream or what the popular culture is saying um you stick by your taste and not just in music but in film too and sometimes I'm, you know, you and I have text conversations. It's like we're the only two people on the planet to like things. And then other times I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, real ones know. But yo, trust me when I say that the enthusiasm I'm showing right now is like 0.1% of the burning intensity I feel for this song. Like just talking about it makes me want to get up on the roof and set off fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just about making your own decision. This is, you know, your taste is the most personal thing in the world. But why would you listen to somebody else about your taste? You should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect I know why people don't like it. And I think it's because there are certain aspects of music, particularly black music, which unfortunately aren't celebrated enough. Well, some of those elements are very present in that song. And mm. it, it's, it always makes me sad when people don't like it because I think, oh, okay, you, you just don't like X or Y. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it's really such a unique relationship between Michael and uh, and Stevie, um, <laughs> like you know, like Iron Man and Peter Parker. <laughs> My pick is also from a uh, top marquee artist, and uh, don't say Marvin. No, <laughs> I thought she's no. about to be some revenge. Don't say Marvin. <laughs> that would have been some. That would have been dope. Listen, that if you can come up with a Marvin pick now, do it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I don't like and have never liked Raspberry Beret. And seemingly <clears throat> everyone in the world loves this song. Um Yeah. You, wait a minute, you never liked it? I've you never, never I've never it. liked it. I I mean I've heard it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I've heard I've heard it perform in sound checks. Um in uh, what two, three years before it was commercially released. Um it just never really 
appeal to me. Uh, the lyrics were very unprince-like. I mean, it starts out. I was working part time at a five and dime. I, I, I can't picture Prince ever having a job. Oh, for Christ's sakes! <laughs> you know, I'm he's sorry. talking about going in through the you outdoor. You guys are being and... way too literal. Now the man can only talk about shit that he's doing in 1985 or whatever. We're talking about authenticity, <laughs> man. Oh man, it's just, it's always sound. It's just always been like a throwaway to me. It sounded like an overt attempt to get, you know, a top 10 radio friendly hit. And, but it's just amazingly unprince-like. That's kind of like saying, I don't know what that's kind of like saying, because the, the diversity of his music, I, I really can't see what's not prince-like. You know, there's so much shit that he did that, you know, was all over the place. So, but lyrically, bruh, those are some... Those those are some great lyrics. She walked in through the outdoor. Rains how rain sounds so cool against the barn roof. Mm. The horses wonder who you are. Come on, man, this is poetry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Thunder mm-hmm. drowns out with the lightning seas. Mm-hmm. S- y- you see me looking at you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wait. I'm waiting for you to do the. I'm waiting for you to do the next line with the high part. Go ahead. I'm just saying from a from a just from a lyrical standpoint, okay, you man, maybe the bounciness of the song, maybe it was too radio friendly for you, and especially following um since it follows so quickly after Purple Rain. Uh I can understand your point about oh let me grab, you know, maintain that top ten, you know, top five spot or whatever. I get you on that. But that, you know, where have all the raspberry women gone? I mean, man, this uh, to me is one of his most well written songs. Mm. Absolutely. It's interesting, Isaac, that you said that. You know what? I'd never listen to the lyrics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think musically is, is I mean, it's, I don't know if I'll call it bubblegum, but it's absolutely purely pop, um, which I have no problem with. I think that, like I've said before in past shows, if pop is, is well done, then I, I appreciate it just as much as I appreciate any other um, genre. But what I love about Raspberry Beret is that it. It, it marries the, the music and the lyrics. It marries them together so perfectly. This the song is about this quirky girl that he falls for this one summer, um, and the summer itself is kind of quirky because he's working at you know this this convenient this store. And he's you know he's basically you know he's he's falling into the stereotype. Definitely this, tell us what the song's about because Arthur and I actually don't know. Apparently, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, it's only been out for what forty years. And it's true. All right, full lid on this episode of the Music Snobs podcast. Once again, we encourage you to subscribe and please leave us a rating so that we can continue this uh, very original show. Very original show. Shout out to the New York <laughs> Times. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere that everywhere that fine podcasts are distributed. <laughs> everywhere the fine podcasts are distributed uh, we can also be found uh on twitter our handle is total music snobs uh instagram ig handle is the music snobs uh and the show library is found also on wait for it the music snobs.com peace
me and for you But we just can't stay together Don't you feel that too Still I'm glad for what we have 